I think a lot of times when I talk to entrepreneurs that are at the beginning of their journey, they're trying to get to point Z and they don't want to make the first step unless they can get the perfect XYZ product. But you kind of have to be okay with developing as you go. Hello, and welcome to Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. I want you to take a second to think about what sorts of products you use to make your home smell better, maybe a spray or plug-in scent. And if you look a little closer at the ingredients, it's usually filled with chemicals that you can't even pronounce. Siblings and business partners Sarah and Sean Panton wanted to change this. They launched Vitruvi, beautiful fragrance-based products that's made with natural ingredients. Sarah is here with us today to share how they went from a blog to a full-blown business that Fast Company has listed as one of the most innovative companies. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to chat with you. I want to start by asking you, the fact that you guys did start as a blog focused on health and wellness. So when did you decide to transition into a business and start Vitruvi? I mean, the transition from content to product was pretty organic. Um, really, when I learned about the amount of chemicals that were in our home scenting products, it was kind of scary. And the blog that I'd started was about living naturally. It was about choosing better products for people on the planet. And I would do interviews with people to learn about the natural products they were using. And I'd made better for you choices in a lot of areas of my life by switching to cleaner laundry, cleaning products, choosing clean makeup. But then when I went to go like make my house smell good, there wasn't anything that didn't have fragrances. And sometimes I'd get a headache. And that's how we started making products. And we just started making them for ourselves and our friends. How did you justify or, I guess, find a fit of customers that would value the same kind of products that you do and fill this gap in the market? I mean, I think, to be honest, it wasn't that thoughtful. Um, It was that we knew that we wanted these and we learned from other people that they were interested in it. And it started really small. Like we priced it so we could afford it and we priced it so our friends could afford it. And then from there, it was just a lot of learning. So we got it in our first couple stores and then did asked a ton of questions. And I think when you start a business, people can spend a lot of time creating a business plan, looking at TAM, total, you know, addressable market, looking at areas and then kind of thinking about how they can carve it out. But a lot of learning can happen just in conversation. And so we started to get a little momentum because um, we're just being thoughtful and curious. Mm-hmm. I think another part you are very thoughtful in is the design of your products. It's like a beautiful piece of art in your home as well. And it really sets it apart from traditional scents and aromatherapy products. So how did you go about your design process? I think, um, you know, I've always loved design and I've loved, it's just this concept of of quality. And so traditional home scenting products and traditional essential oil-based products had always been sort of framed as um, functional or medicinal in a way. And so a lot of times people would buy those products and then keep them in their medicine cabinet or keep them in a cupboard. Uh, When friends came over, they were, you know, entertaining. It wasn't something that they were proud to show. And so I was like, well, if you're purchasing something, why not be proud of it? 
And I think self-expression is important and everything in a home should represent something. And so we designed products that people would feel proud to leave out. Maybe would save them a little time, not having to go, you know, hide it in a cupboard somewhere. And that that's what helped our growth, right? When we create a product that people are proud of, that they invested in it, and then they share it on a platform, on social, or tell their friend about it, that helps to create really exponential growth um, because you're enabling your community to do a lot of the sharing for you. I think one part about making physical products is the hurdle from design to actually producing the product. How did you go about finding your ideal manufacturer? I think you never have your ideal manufacturer. (laughs) I'm still looking for them. Now, I think it's an iterative process, right? I mean, when we first started, Sean and I hand-filled every bottle. Like that was our manufacturing facility. We put the label on ourselves. I even put like the little dropper bottle and then the cap on. And at every stage of the business, we found the next best step. And so I think it wasn't until maybe honestly nine months ago that I can say I am fully proud of every single component of what we make. And that's taken, you know, seven years to do. And so I think it's the next best step for your business and finding the next best person. I think a lot of times when I talk to entrepreneurs that are at the beginning of their journey, they're trying to get to point, you know, Z and they don't want to make the first step unless they can get the perfect most X, Y, Z product. But you kind of have to be okay with developing as you go. At least that's my experience. And on the other side of the business, sourcing the different ingredients for the scents, how was that process like ensuring its quality? And I guess, especially nowadays with raw ingredients, the cost going up, what kind of new challenges are you facing? I mean, every week there's a new challenge. I like to call them puzzles so that it feels more exciting to solve, um, to put the puzzle together. You know, when we first started, quality is our differentiator as a brand. We offer a lifetime warranty with every product we create, and that comes with a huge responsibility. And so when we look at the materials and the ingredients we use, they have to last, and they have to be durable, and they have to be beautiful. And those are our three design principles, and that's actually where our name Vitruvi comes from, the Vitruvian triad of design principles. And so that's really the framework that we choose everything from. And I think as a, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, sometimes it's nice to give yourself constraints. And so when we look at each material that we you know, source or create, that framework allows us to vet things really quickly. Um, and so that's how we've decided to invest in the, you know, the, the pieces that we use and has ensured that it's something we're proud of always. Speaking of your name, Vitruvi, I also love your anecdote about hunting down the right URL and the right naming. So yeah, please tell our listeners about that process. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a good example of doing what you can with what you have, right? And not overthinking things. So uh, our blog had one name and then it evolved to another name. And then when we launched our larger collection of products, um, we wanted to relook at the name again. And then you know, I've always loved design. We found out uh, Vitruvius was this architect that came up with the Vitruvian triad of, of principles, which I just explained. And I went online to, you know, buy the URL. We're like, oh, we can get Vitruvi. And I could get Vitruvi with two eyes and it was $2.99 on GoDaddy. And so bought it. 
And then as we were designing, the, just this, the extra eye at the end just bothered me so much because it wasn't necessary and it wasn't symmetrical. And so Sean and I um, were able to find the holding company in Italy that owned Vitruvi.com and we wired money to them and it crossed our fingers that we would get the URL and now we own it. I love that story and I think it's uh, just such a great way and also like a great symmetry to how dedicated you are to this brand. Um, I do want to talk about the early days of marketing and also this extra step of educating customers. You're trying to convince them to buy something online that they can't really smell and experience. So how did you go about approaching that challenge? Yeah, I think, great question. And it's something we even ask ourselves every day now. I think um, once we're able to understand that our customer is looking for an escape or looking for their home to reflect how dynamic they are as a person, it helped us understand what an aroma means to them. So how we sell online is creating what we call scent worlds for each of our products. And when I develop an aroma, we are really thinking about what does it represent and visually what would it look like? There's a mood board and we think about what would the different parts of that world smell like? Um, an example being um, Legacy, which is our my favorite scent that I created and um, kind of pulled out different moments. There's a fire, you're sitting there, there's books, and then we pick a scent with each of those. And that's the story that we tell on our website. And so I think, you know, our customers are looking for products that are more elevated and more sophisticated than what has traditionally been in the air care and home scenting market. And so we tell that story much like you would a luxury perfume or fragrance. And I think it helps make their space smell as dynamic as they are as people. I'm chatting with Sarah Payton, co-founder and CEO of Vitruvi, makers of beautiful fragrance products with natural ingredients. I wanted to take us back to your early days because I know that you juggled multiple jobs while trying to scale Vitruvi. So what are your tips for other people who are trying to build up a side hustle and actually turn it into a full-blown business? Yeah, I mean, that is such a good question. It's something I'm actually pretty passionate about because I think there has been maybe a glamorization of entrepreneurship and business ownership. And also, I think a certain amount of um, respect goes to those who say, dive into the deep end or just jump in and put all their eggs in one basket. I took a different approach. So um, when I started the company, we had you know no money, you know no bank support, uh, no venture capital. And so it was really funded on my student loans and my visa. And we just simply couldn't afford to pay myself. Um, and I had taken a leave from school and I basically had one year to prove the concept of Vitruvi and I had no income. And so for that first year, I had three other side hustles that were online and I was helping with different companies and they were all in Europe. So I could work at different hours than when I was in the office at Vitruvi in our office, my apartment. Um, and I think that, you know, that did a few things. It one made sure that I freaking loved it because entrepreneurs in the first year, if you think it's hard now, if you're burnt out now, like just fold up the book, put it on the shelf because it's only going to get harder and the hours are only going to get more demanding. So I think I did that, you know, at that 
one year to test the concept of Vitruvi. And then for the additional two years, I didn't take a paycheck, I think, until our fourth year of business. And I think that just allowed me to know that I loved it. I believed in it. I had the grit. Also de-risking putting all my eggs in one basket and expecting more out of the business for myself than what was best for the business. Because I think sometimes when you can, you know, when you're looking to get a paycheck out of it, you might make a business decision that's not best for the company, but that will serve you. And so it's important to differentiate the two. And I think your story is so important because we love to highlight these narratives that are maybe counterintuitive to traditional media. Another side of your story is you were actually in med school, and that's when you decided to take a bet on Vitruvi um, and use your loans to kickstart the business. So I guess, you know, med school has this very secure path versus this is something more risky. So how did you make that pro-con list for yourself? And tell us also a little bit about using that fund essentially to start Vitruvi as well. Yeah, a great question. I think I grew up in a small town. Um, I grew up in a small town and, um, you know, my dad was a police officer and my mom was a grade two teacher. I didn't understand the breadth of opportunities and careers in the world. And so I think when you go to kind of a crappy high school and you, you know, don't get exposed to a lot of different ways of living, you can choose one path. And so for me, I knew I liked helping people and I knew I liked science and I liked solving puzzles. And so I was very focused, laser focused on medicine and global health in general and access to care. When I finally got there after, I mean, seven years, I, it wasn't like my people. And it took a lot of soul searching and it took a lot of checking my ego at the door to say, okay, I'm spending every lunch and evening that I can building this website that has nothing to do with what I've spent all this money and time doing. And it fills me up so much. And um, that's what, that's why I ended up taking the leave, but it, it was a really hard decision. I think it's important to kind of check why you do what you do and what motivates it. And I think there was some, some ego and some just story of telling myself, this is the path and I'm a highly motivated and competitive person. And so I just blindly kept putting one foot in front of the other. And when I checked myself and saw what really lit me up, that's what made me want to bet um, on Vitruvi. Amazing. So using your student loans, it's quite limited in funds. So what did you initially invest in to make sure that you were spending your money wisely? The first three things we invested in, one was actually our design and our packaging. And that might be counterintuitive because we overinvested and the look and feel of the of the business. I think looking back now, I know that was our differentiator. But at the time, it was just our commitment and love of quality and design. What that did is it actually made retailers think we were a lot bigger than we were. And so when we went out to go pitch the brand, we were getting POs from large retailers that you would recognize. And Sean and I were still filling the bottles for the purchase orders. And so it got us a foot in the door by being buttoned up in that way. It wasn't perfect. It still wasn't the ideal packaging that I you know, would have loved, but it was good enough. And then from there, we ran the business in a way that would get us the most cash quickly. So now I would define that as understanding our cash flow. Then it was, hey, how do we pay our um, rent and how do we buy more bottles? And so um, that just became our boutique business. 
which paid us before we shipped the order. That allowed us to take that capital and put it back into making more products. And a really important distinction is when a retail business grows from boutiques or smaller mom and pop shops to major retailers, because it puts a lot of stress on your cash constraints. Also having our online business helped to mediate that risk because it was instant. And so as we got more and more successful, we were able to invest more and more in our digital and online business. And that ultimately was what propelled most of our growth. So now you're at a stage where you actually do have a relationship with different investors and you've taken funding. What are some tips you have for founders who are trying to find the right investor? I mean, that is a complex question. It is such an interesting market right now for raising capital. And I think if I were to distill the last seven years and the things that are most important, it actually stems back to advice that I heard Right as I was starting my business from Tamar Mellon, who is the founder of Jimmy Choo Shoes, she spoke at a conference in New York that I was at, and I'll never forget it. She was up on the stage and talking to 100 women that had run successful companies from the beginning, and she said, hire the best financial person that you can afford and strap them to your hip, but don't let them run your business. And I didn't understand it to the full extent until now. What she meant by that is to be able to speak to someone with a level of detail and understanding of your business and to see around corners helps you to present to an investor even earlier than you might be able to. So pricing and bundling is also an important part of Retruvi's strategy. How did you determine your pricing to be profitable while also offering value for the customers? That is an ever-evolving, I probably talk about margin like twice a week with our executive team because it's really a moving target. And I think if it isn't a moving target for you, then you're not looking at it close enough. I think understanding your fully baked-in margin, what the true cost of goods is of your product is really important, especially early on in your business. I think there is a little bit of um, pulling the curtain closed as you start out because it's just getting about the, the traction and momentum. But if you can understand fully the mechanics of your business and each purchase, that is incredibly powerful, especially with investors. So to answer your question directly, it's something that we look at and that's ever evolving, especially in the digital landscape right now. So we priced it in a way that we know is competitive in the market. We also price it in a way that respects our um, emphasis on quality and design and longevity. And then from there, we make sure that our supply chain and our operational team can support that margin to make sure we can survive as a business. So we kind of look at it from three different angles. So excited to chat more, Sarah. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you haven't already, follow and subscribe to Shopify Masters wherever you listen. And please leave us a review or feedback for the show. Thank you. Um, I do want to switch gears and talk a little bit about marketing strategies. If there are some channels that have been the most impactful in terms of scaling for the business. Yeah, I don't know if you found this, but a lot of business owners that I chat with are the landscape is changing really quickly. And I think it's evolved over the last seven years of running the company. I think community first always. So understanding how to connect with your customer and really be authentic. And this might, you know, be a surprise, but I think our best marketing channel are the customer calls I do every month. So each month, um, and I have since we started the business, our customer experience team 
um, helps me connect with between five and 10 members of our community, people that purchase our products under different themes. Um, you know, some might not be happy with their experience. Some might purchase a lot. And I learn so much from those calls and those calls really become people that fuel our marketing. And it's super small, but it's really impactful. I would say as we evolve the business right now with like iOS changes and how we think about acquiring customers at scale, we're looking at new channels and really you know, experimenting in meaningful ways. Um, direct mail is something that's come back and that we're seeing positive signs in to retargeting has changed fundamentally. And I, so I think that it's really about adding value to the customer and knowing that with every interaction, whether it be through an ad or an email or a text message or a mailer in their mailbox, you need to be adding value. You need to be delighting them um, and really creating a portal into your world through design. And do you have different flows for different customer profiles? And tell us a little bit how you identify those different profiles and how you stagger out the different communication pieces. Mm -hmm. So as we think about our customer, we have four different segments of our customer. And we, when we think about that customer, we have a holistic understanding of who that person is and what product assortment we've created for them and how they discover us. And so when we build our customer flow and our customer journey, say if we acquire someone through a Whitestone diffuser, we then know that we can share oils or that's the product they're going to be interested in next. We then, you know, retarget them with email, with SMS, which is becoming a really, really um, powerful tool for us. Um, and that's different than another customer, which we will acquire, acquire through our natural air freshener sprays, who then might be interested in XYZ product. And so each of those customers, we get to know them intimately, um, we have different flows for I think another side of your marketing success is also the PR that you've been getting coverage on. At the top of the show, we mentioned Fast Company named you one of the most innovative companies. So how did you go about getting media coverage? Um, well, first it started with me stalking uh, editors on Twitter. So that's how it began at <laughs> the very early days because we didn't have a PR budget. And so it was really just making authentic relationships. And I think when you're up to something cool and people can tell that you're really passionate, uh, we got a lot of help um, in the early days from journalists and editors. And I'm tr truly forever grateful for that. Um, and then when we were able to work with PR companies, it helped us to share our story at scale and to really share why we built the business. And I think that when someone makes an investment in their home, they want to feel proud of the company that they're supporting and being able to work with PR companies, different ones throughout our journey has allowed us to kind of share that story in our why at scale. And in addition to those partnerships, I think being in retailers like Nordstrom, Sephora, Goop has also helped in your growth. Um, what kind of advice do you have for people wanting to approach those retailers and also building a relationship with them? Yeah, I think my word, and it's probably the word of my life, is relentlessness, just eternal optimism. I truly believe that you can make anything happen if you're relentless. And I think that the secret sauce to Vitruvia has just been like, we, I can outwork anyone. Like I just, like no wasn't an answer. And so when early on, when we looked at our 
customer segments and who those people were and what you know need state we were solving for them. I was like, okay, this is a new category for that person. So my product needs to be in a place that they are already shopping. And so that's how our big retail plan started. It's like, okay, she's not gonna go to XYZ store that's niche and out of her way. And maybe she's not directly coming to our website yet, but we know she's walking at Nordstrom. So we need to be at Nordstrom. And so that's how we built that foundational uh, retail strategy. And then it was just relentlessness, you know, email reminders every five weeks, um, you know, ways of pitching the value that we would add to the business, the community that we would build and, you know, kind of maybe selling a little more than we would be able to do. But at the end of the day, we did it. And it's also a great channel to get new customers who might have not heard of you or not have seen ads online. Um, I wanted to ask about, you know, the seven, eight year journey where there's peaks and then there's also learnings. Can you share some moments that you were really proud of and also maybe some lessons that you're really happy that you've learned and you've overcome? Oh my gosh, I feel like that roller coaster happens every hour. <laughs> I think like every 20 minutes there's something I'm maybe a little proud of and then something that I'm devastated about. So, um, I mean, it's such a ride. It's such a ride. And I think that, um, I think the things I'm most grateful for and proud of is the team that we've built and the customers that we serve. Like they're just good people. Like it's really fun to build products for people that you really respect. Our customers are so kind. They're interesting. They're up to cool shit. And I just, you know, it's such an honor to build stuff for them. And our team, it's pretty incredible feeling to go from, you know, making your product in your apartment at night, watching reruns to walking into an office or getting on a Zoom call and seeing dozens of faces and being like, whoa, like you're all here. Like we're doing this together. That's a really neat feeling. So I'm super proud of that. And then lessons, I mean, that I would do different. There's so many I can't even count. I've made so many mistakes, like so many every day. But I wouldn't change anything. Like I really wouldn't. And I think having that grace for yourself and learning to be kind to yourself is really important because I think when you get deep into the entrepreneurial journey, the world can be really tough and it can be really difficult. So I think, you know, being kind to yourself and giving yourself some grace is important. So I think... To be more specific, a lesson would be to just follow your gut more. And at the beginning of the journey, I think I thought everyone in the room was more smart than I was. And I think that I can probably name three scenarios specifically that I, I knew what should have happened and I didn't do it fast enough. And so, you know, having those lessons and trusting your gut. And in addition to what you've just shared, I really love it. I want to ask, you know, you went from making every single product yourself, pouring the items, to now managing a team and running this big brand. So how have you like maintained your mindset and taken care of yourself throughout this kind of also very emotional side of a journey? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, I think that when you start a business and you assume a leadership role, you are intrinsically signing up for uh, self-improvement and self-awareness. I think that it is something that people don't talk enough about. But when you put yourself in that position and you need to take responsibility for yourself and how you show up, and part of that is taking care of yourself. Part of that is a commitment to self-reflection and self-betterment. Ways that I've done that is I think that, you know, a counselor or a therapist is really important. Um, I think having someone to talk to 
about the stress that is on you is something that I committed two years ago and I think has been influential in me being able to show up, um, especially through really tough times, especially through the pandemic. Like that was nuts. Um, I think also taking care of your body um, and your brain so that you could think clearly for your, for your team. So prioritizing whatever that is for you. It sounds simple, fitness, drink water, go to sleep. But sometimes it's that simple, right? Um, so I think, I think that mental health is really important. Physical health is really important because at the end of the day, that's what you have. You have time in your health. That's what you need to show up for people. Thank you for being so candid and open with us. We do have to ask you, are there any new product launches or news that you can share with us about Vitruvi? Uh, yes, I can share. So I'm, you know, next year we are launching three new categories. Um, I'm really proud of them. They are, you know, competitive products to toxic chemical filled um, home scenting products that have been on the market for decades. So it took a lot of time, but we've built some really beautiful products that will allow people to make their home more comfortable in really easy ways. And and then we just launched our cloud humidifier, which was years in the making, which was supposed to launch well before it did, but thank you supply chain constraints in the pandemic, but it's out in the world. And it's really, I'm just blown away by the response. We knew it would be good because we did our research, but it's a lot better than we even thought. So the cloud humidifier is my new favorite product. Amazing. We're very excited to look forward to the new launches and also checking out the cloud humidifier. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's Sarah Panton, co-founder and CEO of Vertruvi. Shopify Masters is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Our supervising producer is Benjamin Gottlieb. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and I'll see you next time on Shopify Masters.